RPG Academy presents... Fifth edition actual play. Starring Michael as Arami Mott, Scott as Dane Seaborn, and Matthew as Cassandra Ziegengeist. Featuring Caleb, your game master. This actual play is supported by BattleBards.com. Hey everybody, Caleb here, and this is episode one of Rot Iron, our brand new 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons actual play. I've got our standard group of players with us. Let's go ahead and introduce everybody with the characters that they will be playing. Hey guys, Michael here at the RPG Academy on Twitter, and I will be bringing Arami Mott to the table, a female dwarf. Howdy all you kids out there on Radio Land. I am Scott at Pachetra at Twitter, and I am bringing you Dane Seaborn. Hello, internet. This is Matthew Perotti. At Matt Parody on Twitter, I will be playing Cassander Ziegengeist, the High Elf Paleontologist. And with those introductions out of the way, let's start Rot Iron. Cue the kick-ass music. Ding ding! Why are we doing podcasts? Let's form a band. That was awesome. Fuck this. Let's be musicians. <laughs> that always works out. Let's do that. Let's all quit our day jobs. Yeah. We'll do it on Kickstarter. <sighs> it is a dark and stormy evening on the Reforged Isles. It has been raining for several days. Shipping has been a little bit slower than normal, but commerce is still moving on. The, the workday has just ended, and most people are heading home or uh, meeting up with friends to spend an evening together. Uh, we are going to start in the main tavern at the center of the Reforged Isle, the Sleeping Sphinx. The tavern is pretty busy. There's a fair number of people in here. It's very popular. It's not too rowdy or noisy, though. It, this is a place where people enjoy a good meal. Uh, they tell some great stories. They sit around the giant fire pit in the middle of the room. And they just, they just enjoy the island life. Leaning against the bar counter in the Sleeping Sphinx is a dwarf. He is draining a tankard of ale. And he signals to the barkeep to fill it up again. He's had quite a few drinks this evening. Maybe a few too many. But the tavern owner fills it up anyway. 
This dwarf stumbles a little bit and goes to sit down at his table, but then something catches his eye, and he walks across the bar and sits down at a table with a single female dwarf sitting there by herself. And he kind of slams his tankard down. (sighs) So I see you're here again tonight. Where else would I be? You know, it's odd enough seeing you all around town, but after a long day's work, I just want to relax and not deal with anything. (sighs) Seeing you here just is one more pain in my ass. I'll move to another table if you like. <sighs> forget it. I'm I'm just going to go home. I forget it. And he stands up, drains his ale and walks out of the Sphinx. Army would be watching him walk away and there is definitely sadness on her face, but it's not the sadness of what he said or did. It's more that she was really happy to see him and she's kind of sad that he's leaving. So there are a, a few more minutes when Arami is sitting there by herself. Uh, what is she doing to? Uh, what is she doing in the meantime here? Okay, so uh, you know Arami is a female dwarf. Uh, in this world, female dwarfs do not have beards, and uh, so she does not have one of those. She's a little maybe lighter than you would typically associate with like dwarves in typical fantasy. Uh, she has she works the docks. She has very calloused hands, very muscular arms that are very tan. She normally just wears like a leather jerkin vest uh, for her work day. Uh, she wears like a, almost like cotton islander pants, uh, some work boots, and um, she has very vibrant red hair. But it's cut in like a fade, so the sides are really short. The top is almost like a flat top, and she has this bushy mane that comes out. And, um, she, uh, she's actively trying to pray, which means she has what looks like almost like rosary beads, but each bead is made up of a different type of metal. Uh, normally these are, this whole string is weaved into her hair, but she has removed it. And that is what she's using to try to go about her daily prayers. Gotcha. Wonderful. So Arami, as you are sitting there contemplating what's happened and trying to focus yourself with this prayer ritual, You hear a chair next to you being drawn out, and that kind of brings you out of your meditation. Sitting next to you is one of your oldest friends. Dane, so nice to see you. Please pull up a seat and join me. Dane uh, laughs quite loudly and sits all over the chair, arms and legs collapsing over the back and sides and completely enveloping the space. Boy, it's sure quiet tonight. Where's the party? I bet we could raise a pretty good party here in the Sphinx. It's only a second day of the week, but but we could do it. I wish you would. I'm having a hard time getting through all my prayers. It's it's too quiet. Dane looks at you quizzically for a moment. Yes, yes, because for isn't it written that, that in Marble 613 that prayer made in the the noisiest of canyons carries the furthest up the heavens yes you do that and dane turns from you before you have a chance to answer and uh, gussies up to the barmaid uh, a heavy-set dwarven woman who uh, turns around at first wildly offended that someone would have taken advantage of her but seeing that it's dane she uh, gives him sort of a chiding oh you look and the serving wench pinches your cheek and kind of ruffles your hair a little bit 
rolls her eyes and, and goes off to take care of some of the other guests of the Sphinx. Dane, you're going to cavort about the bar a little bit, uh, talking to different people. You know pretty much everybody in the bar. So every table... Everybody who's worth knowing. Oh, of course. And everybody wishes they knew you. And that's actually because Dane is a very special type of dwarf. So, Scott, why don't you tell us about that a little bit? Yes. my uh, While I have a traditional dwarf stature and dwarf features, my uh, skin glows the emerald blue of the bay. I am a, uh, I'm a, I'm a water ganasi dwarf. I was, uh, that's the reason for my surname of Seaborn. It is applied to those who are born of the blue skin, born of the sea. Now this makes Dane not something of an oddity because there are plenty of dwarves on the reforged isles who have different family traits, but because you are specifically of the water, and everything on the Reforged Isles thrives from the water, you have that air of importance and local celebrity about you. And Dane has just played off how awesome he is, kind of living up to this local legend. Sometimes he might make the legend a little bit bigger than it actually is, but everyone seems to go along with it. And here in the Sphinx, most of the people you talk to give you a big grin, they slap you on the back, they offer you a drink or some food, and uh, while you're walking around, kicking up the, the evening life here in the tavern, the bard in the corner, uh, he actually wakes up, he was taking a nap, he had had a little bit too much to drink earlier, he wakes up, kind of clears his throat, starts playing a song, and stands up on the table and starts a great dwarven drinking song and everybody starts joining in uh, within the span of not even 15 minutes dane you have gotten the the sphinx just rolling into the evening so there's all sorts of noise and people cavorting about a couple patrons have moved some tables to the side and are dancing a little bit just everyone's having a great time no one's going crazy no one's fighting it's just a good evening with success brimming from ear to ear, I collapse back into the chair across from Army. And you find me deep into my prayers, because now that the tavern is bustling with energy and noise, I'm actually able to reach a, a calmness that I wasn't able to reach before. Okay, so as Army sits here finishing her prayers, she looks up, she is uh, threading her beads back into her hair braids and strands where they usually stay. Dane, you are looking around the Sphinx. You are admiring your handiwork for the evening. You've got a smug grin on your face. You're both looking around, and you don't notice immediately that someone has sat down at the table with you. What draws your attention is when you hear the familiar thunk of a tankard of ale being set down on the table in front of each of you. So Army's eyes will sort of snap over to the newcomer and a big smile erupts on her face. Cass, it's so great to see you. I wouldn't miss a night like this. I've been studying too much and I've brought ale. Shall we drink? So has has the rain stopped all the way up there yet? Or do you get still getting the same weather as we down here? The weather is usually the same. As I slide the tankard over towards Dane. But Dane, he's only like a foot taller than us. 
That's not enough for there to be a difference in weather. Hey, honey, eight inches is all someone needs. <laughs> and this is Cassander, one of your great friends. He is a welcome addition to your party in the Sphinx this evening. Matthew, why don't you tell us a little bit about Cassander? Uh, Cassander is a, uh, a tallish uh, high elf of... Um of pale bronze skin due to his uh, work outside often. His autumnal brown hair is usually bound up in a bandana. He has uh, evergreen eyes, and uh, he usually is wearing um, around town like a like a toga type thing. And uh, yeah, he's just a nice guy, and he's always looking and watching, and sometimes he makes little notes in a little notebook he carries with him. Now, while it is not uncommon to see different races here on the Reforged Isles, not many choose to make their living there. So why is Cassander here on the island? Uh, Cassander finds himself on the Reforged Isles in his estate known as Long Garden, studying the retribution, the, the drowning of the world. He seeks to answer the question, why did it happen and who did it? Yes, he is studying the, the lost cultures and civilizations, but he's also more more interested in the loss of, of life on a, on a lower level, the animal life and plant life that has been sunk under the, under the waves. And that type of investigation and research definitely takes up most of Cassander's day. He is a very studious elf. He is always busy. Yep. But he, he's also always walking around the island. He's always doing research. He's always talking to the different merchants that are, are docked in Warhammer Bay. He is always investigating. So everyone on the Reforged Isle knows who Cassander is. They always see him around. They're used to him being there, asking weird questions He's just part of life here on the island. Yep. So with the three of you here, you are in the Sphinx. You are enjoying your evening. You have become kind of the epicenter of the tavern life. Everyone is having a great time kind of orbiting through the Sphinx, uh, always coming over to say hi to Dane, but then going back to their own shenanigans, whatever they might be doing. There we are. You guys are just kind of hanging out. There's probably a couple people in the bar that are giving me cross looks, uh, maybe while they rub their jaws or maybe sort of wince as they touch the side of their head. Uh, you know, maybe one guy's arm is in a sling. Uh, clearly, they uh, they have some sort of beef with me, but they're either not uh, brave enough or stupid enough to do anything about it. But they definitely don't come over to you. Oh, no, definitely they, not. They definitely respect you. They keep a distance. Even though they see Dane, they just wave. Yeah, with their good arm. With their good arms. Did you guys feel a tremor earlier today? I did. I did. I, uh, I actually clocked it at uh, 33 and a third seconds. It was uh, amazingly long, and uh, Shrike was uh, scouting the, uh, the area to see if he could find an epicenter, but sadly he didn't. Seems to me we've been having those tremors more and more often, but this one seemed a bit more violent than usual. Oh, I don't know. I seem to recall some more violent ones in the past. Oh, that's true. That 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 one that uh that unlocked that uh 
that little tomb we found that was that was rather rough oh yeah boy that was a fun time together wasn't it i was all together palling around like usual fun as i recall i almost died oh right we saw the ruins we decided to go out there you decided to go out there you dragged us along practically kicking and screaming okay first of all you weren't kicking and army was kicking as the motor for the skiff because the sail broke okay it wasn't your turn but you were there you told us it was a good ship how could your sail just break i think it had to do with the swordfish that we caught for dinner that's right. One of those funny side effects about uh, earthquakes under the sea is that it scares the living crap, as you explained in very technical-sounding jargon to us, out of the sea life, and so it tends to become predatory and attack poor things like us. Yes, exactly. And that swordfish was delicious. Did you ever pay us for that? I think I remember you saying there would be three gold pieces in it for me if I went along. Army, I gave you those three gold pieces, and... Young lady, if you don't believe me, I'll give you another three. Because that's the kind of guy I am, and that's the kind of friend I am. I I recall him giving you those three gold, paid in full, after I dragged you wholly from that undersea tomb of yours, giving you the breath of life, resuscitated you back from the brink of death. And then, uh, as I recall, Cassander still had to bum that three gold off of me. Friend Dane, I think you're remembering it wrong. I'm I, I seem to recall you kicking the skiff away from the ruins as I dragged poor Army onto it and said help me with her, and you said something along the lines of Sinketh like the stone, stayeth like the stone. That's not the way I remember this at all. This is what I remember. So as the three of you are sitting around the table, Arami starts telling the story of what actually happened. Sometime last year, Cassander was studying the island, and there was an exceptionally large earthquake. He happened to be near the beach, and as as the quake subsided, he noticed that there was something different out in the water. It appeared to be some sort of rocky ruins that were not there before. So uh, as Cassander walked on the beach and uh, felt the tremor, he uh, he thought he noticed something odd further out on into the waves. So he uh, he called upon Shrike, his, uh, his sea eagle companion, and sent him through the thermals out into the ocean and through his eyes spied something odd okay give me an investigation check for that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's say it's a 12 uh cassander what uh what you saw was in fact a chunk of rock that had been shoved up through the waves it wasn't super big but it was about eight to ten feet across what caught your interest though was that there was very clearly a cave opening and even though you're pretty far out from where you were on the island you thought that it opened up below the waves as well well i definitely need to investigate this so okay so i 
collected my compatriots and we headed down to the dock to uh, rent a skiff from the church. All right, so Cassander, you gathered your research equipment, you headed back into the town proper, and the first person you came across was your friend, Dane. Dane! Dane! Hey, buddy! Just the guy I was looking for. It's funny how often people say that. Sure is. So I spied this cave opening, I think? A few miles out to the east, and I was thinking, me, you, army, a skiff from the church, zip out there and check it out. What do you think? I don't know. Is this going to be another one of your boring history lectures that doesn't go anywhere? Do you actually listen? No, but I can hear the fact that you're talking, and it distracts me from my own awesome thoughts. Okay, then I'll I'll just... I'll mumble. How does that sound? M- m- mumbling yeah, is good. Yeah, yeah. Treasure is better. Well, that was there treasure in this uh, cave? That's, because that's I think we've thing. been through most of the caves on the island, and they were pretty empty. No, no, no. This cave was removed from the island, and it's pretty far out. I'm not going to say there is treasure. I'm also not going to say there isn't treasure. But I am going to say there's adventure. Maybe, maybe not treasure. Definitely adventure. You sold me. And three gold pieces. Oh, for you. And pay on top. All right. All right. Now we're talking. Let's go get you a skiff, and also army, I guess. Also, always good to have a third. Now, what you guys knew at that point was that you needed to grab a boat. Most boats were maintained for merchants and shipping purposes. However, luckily, you guys knew Arami, and as she was working the docks, she could typically convince someone to let you guys borrow a boat if you need it. So the two of you walk through town. Of course, most people give you a little bit of a wave or a hello. A lot of people are busy, though, cleaning up from the earthquake. So some of the merchant stands have been knocked over. A a couple things are out of whack. Uh, Some pots have been broken. Some stuff has fallen out of windows. So people are busy kind of cleaning up and not rebuilding. No house has got knocked down, but... Uh, straightening up the island, let's say. So the two of you walked down to the dock, but looking around, you did not see Arami right away. Where has she gotten off to? So how do you guys want to go about finding her? Well, I I guess option A is a traditional spiral pattern search, where we split up and we agree upon calls, where we can communicate at long distances, whether or not we found her will cover the most ground. Option B is just to go bother someone who she's in charge of, and make sure they're not working, and she has sort of a sonar for when people aren't working or when they're not paying their dues, and she will find us. That sounds like the lazier option, so I choose option B. I am going to default to your practices. Okay, so Dane, you poked around the dock a little bit, and you happened to find one of the merchant ships that was preparing to leave port and it just so happened that some of the dock workers assigned to this merchant ship were being a little bit lazy Uh, they were sitting around the docks having a quick snack instead of getting some some crates and wagons full of supplies loaded onto the ship so very cleverly you 
raised a little bit of an alert for these people, maybe talking just a bit too loudly about what they were doing so that Arami would have heard you. So Arami's making her way back towards the docks and back towards you uh, from like a little blind alley that's just off from the docks a little bit. Uh, as she gets closer, you can clearly see that there's fresh blood on her knuckles, and you can even see the telltale rings of, of no blood that she had uh, her brass knuckles on whenever she did whatever it was that she did to get the, the blood on her hands. Uh, she's also writing something in a little leather-bound book that she keeps uh, on her at all times. So you would know that she's been acting as her secondary job, which is a collector for the local temple, that if you do not pay your tithes, uh, you get a visit from Army. So, Army, as you were walking back, you heard Dane raising a little bit of a ruckus with these poor dock workers. You can hear Dane's voice cry out, Ah, sixes again! Excellent! Pay up, suckers! The light clatter of heavy stone dice on the, the hollow wooden dock. The dock workers actually look up with almost terror on their eyes, Wait, we were we were gambling. What's going on? Uh, uh, what are you talking about? So, w- without a lot of change in my expression, because Army always has sort of a slack-jawed, calm demeanor about her, I, uh, I reach for the cudgel that I keep at my side and I I bring it up with a couple quick hefts, and uh, it's clear that I'm about to knock some heads. It's not unusual for Army to run her crew roughly, but uh, they generally listen. So as soon as Arami walked up, the workers sprung to their feet, throwing the remains of their food into the water. Oh, we're sorry. We're sorry. We just stopped for a second. There was the earthquake. Uh, I'm sorry. They're actually talking over each other. No, we were working the whole time. We were working the whole time. No, no, we took a break for real, but it was just two seconds. We promise. We'll get back to work right now. And they all run onto the ship carrying anything they can find not even the boxes they're supposed to carry they're just picking stuff up so it looks like they're working army you need to teach these cretins how to uh, pay their dues they owe me six copper pieces from these dice rolls they're just terrible i'll reach back into my pocket and pull out that leather book and look at him so w- which one owes you and how much the uh, the tall one i pick up my stone dice and put them back in my pocket my tongue will kind of go to the corner of my mouth as I make a small note to collect for you off the tall one. What are you guys doing here on my docks? We were looking for you. Professor here says that there's something going on down at the shore. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's, uh, I <clears throat> clear my throat, look down for a moment. I look at you in the eye and say, Army, there there seems to be a new cave that's emerged from the water due to this earthquake. And as Copper 327 states, the, the, the brave and the just venture forth into danger and darkness, for that is truly the way to shine your light. I feel like we should go. I think you're going to have to roll for that one. So this is going to be an opposed roll here. Scott, if you want to give me a persuasion roll... And Michael, if you want to try to oppose that, you could use insight or you could just make a wisdom check. Okay, both of those are going to be terrible, but I'll go with insight because at least I'm proficient in that. So it's a little bit better. So uh, I rolled an 11 plus my six. That gives me 17. 
Okay, so Army will kind of look up and to the right. Uh, clearly, she's trying to recall some information. And then after a second, she says, You're right. The Book of Copper does talk about bravery. Maybe this is a test sent by Envar herself to show that I'm truly worthy. We should go right away. Yeah, yeah, the Book of Copper is full of that test stuff. Yep, definitely we should go. D- d- do you have a sloop, by the way, that we could just uh, borrow for the sacred duties of the church? But but of course, since this is a church matter, I can commandeer a small vessel. Perfect. Well, we are on our way. So I'm going to grab the tall dwarf and pull him over and say, while I'm gone, you're in charge. And then I'm going to give him a good right cross across the jaw and stand over him with a with a pointing finger and say, you should not be cheating anyone, especially my <laughs> friends. Okay, so with that all successful, the three of you grabbed the boat and headed off. So as you guys sail through the water, it's not very choppy and stormy, but the waves are definitely higher than normal. However, all three of you are competent enough Uh, at piloting a boat that there's no major problem. As you get closer to this outcropping, you realize that, one, it is very small, no more than 10 feet across, but you also realize that it is very clearly a man-made structure. It is not just a random rock from the ocean. It is so small, though, that it's very difficult to land on it. There's nowhere you can really just park the boat, so to speak. So uh, give me some information on how you guys managed to land there. Uh, could I make a uh, history check to see if it's something I may have read about in one of my many textbooks? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go okay. ahead and give me a check. Whoa, 18. So yeah, this is definitely a structure you recognize. It is some sort of ancient mausoleum. And you have a a very clear picture in your head what it looks like structurally. So you are able to visualize it. You know that a little bit under the waves, there are some columns. There are some outcroppings where there would probably be some sort of statue or gargoyle hanging there. And uh, what you're looking at is really the roof of the mausoleum. So below it, there'll be columns, there'll be the walls, and eventually the main door. Okay, so um, through using my own eyes and that of Shrike, who's probably circling above, I would say to Army and um, and uh, Dane, who are much better swimmers than I am, swimmers and sinkers and whatever they do, and I'm going to say, uh, I need you to, to uh, go under the water and look for uh, like a torch holder That'll be good to tie off the boat to, or maybe the columns or the bars from the structure. Uh, okay. They nods in agreement. So Army will stand up in the boat uh, with pretty grace, uh, more grace than you probably would have expected. And um, I'm, I mean, I'm only wearing like a light uh, leather vest anyways, because I've been working. I don't really have like armor on or anything. Uh, I have a cudgel at my side. There's a hoop on my belt. That's what allows it to stay there. And I have a little wrap I can wrap around it to tie it off so it won't come out. And then um, I'm going to force myself to hyperventilate for a few seconds, uh, allow me to take like a super deep breath. Uh, 
you know, because of the training I've received and just some of the things we've we've made about this world, uh, I can hold my breath just like a ridiculously long time. Uh, then I'll grab the end of the rope and I'll just sort of dive off and sink like a dwarf in the ocean. Excellent. Uh, Dane um, limbers up a little, takes off his uh, sort of outer coat finery, revealing a a set of uh, limber, dark brown leathers, uh, sort of evening leathers, quiet for sneaking around and and generally not being seen, which might surprise some people, but certainly not uh, Dane's friends. And then he uh, takes he took one good leap and uh, splashed very minimally into the water. Okay, so Cassandra, you sat there in the boat. Your two friends just jumped into these choppy waters. Dane and Army, as you leap into the waters you're almost shocked normally where you are the the water's pretty clear you've got great visibility both of you based on your racial abilities are excellent swimmers so you are very prepared for anything that happens under these waves but you are used to being able to see what's in front of you uh, however what you're looking at now is very, very cloudy water. You can see no more than a foot or so in front of you either direction. Uh, as you are both swimming, carrying the rope from this boat, you both kind of look over at each other and you're a little bit concerned. But Dane, you you motion down, uh, kind of pointing towards where Cassandra told you to go. And with his advice, you actually find... Uh, a part of this structure where a torch would have sat, and there's a big, uh, a big metal hoop that is covered in barnacles. It's very rusted, but you are able to successfully tie the boat very securely. Uh, what you can see in front of you is a, an ancient stone building. You see columns. You see walls that probably at some point had some sort of statues and words carved into them some sort of pictures but they've been eroded by the waves it's almost just completely smooth and covered with different sorts of uh underwater plant life and animals so the boat is completely secured at this point so you can go back up and grab cassander Splish out of the water. Cassandra, you were right. There was a torch just where you said it. Now, come on down. The water's fine. I'm actually just going to stay down here while you go back to get cast, and I'll go ahead and just start feeling my way around and see if I can find an entrance. All right, Michael. So Army is under the waves here. Uh, she is swimming around trying to kind of get a feel for this building and figure out how they can get into it. So make an investigation check for me. I rolled a 16. What you find is the door of this mausoleum. It is open. Uh, now, you don't think this is on purpose or anything. It's not like the door was opened for you. It's simply fallen open from the earthquake that shoved it up. Uh, from wherever it was beneath the waves. So you know where this is. Uh, so you are able to get back to where you tied off the boat to this location very easily. You're, you're able to find your way back. So you now know how to get into this cavernous area. Uh, Dane, you were going up to get Cassander, correct? Correct. 
having signaled to my good friend Cassander, I uh, dive back into the water, swimming as though it were my native element. Because uh, it is! <laughs> I, uh, I whistle for Shrike, and I uh, mentally command him to keep watch, uh, and I take hold of the rope and uh, guide slash paddle my way down into the water. Uh, okay, so you know, we've already established that in this world, dwarves can generally hold their breath like really long. And then my particular uh, like family and clan can do so even more so than that. Uh, I also have dark vision. So can I just stay down here and, and go ahead and like peer into this mausoleum and already begin doing some investigations while I'm waiting? Oh, absolutely. Why don't you give me a perception check for that as you're just looking around? Oakley duckley. I got a 15. Okay. So with your dark vision, you're able to look through the murkiness of the water. The mausoleum in front of you is completely full of water. Uh, however, you also see that there is a large hole in what would have been the bottom of the mausoleum, but it's actually kind of catty corner on its side, so it's more like going left, but it's still going down. And if you stick your head in, you're able to figure out that there's basically a cave entrance. All right. So there, there's still water. You're still swimming, but you can go deeper into this cavernous area. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and go to the top of this room that we're in and hope that there might be like an air pocket that is formed when this happened. And uh, if I find one, I'll bring Cass over to it so he can get a deep breath before we go further into this cave thing. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, the the raised ceiling of the mausoleum that was actually sticking out above the water that Cassander saw to bring you guys out here, that is actually above the water, and there, there's an air pocket there. And there's a couple holes in the ceiling just from where it was broken out from being underwater for so long. So plenty of fresh air. There, There's no difficulty with the people who need it getting a breath. <gasps> okay, Scott, do you need to breathe, like, at all? I kind of forget if you are, uh, like, fully no, water No, I am amphibious. It's an ability. Okay, so... I'll go ahead and just take a, a breath here, even though I, I probably don't need one, but just in case, because I don't really know how long we're going to be. And then do we have like a water skin that we could empty out and kind of like make like an air bladder uh, to give us an extra breath if we needed one along the way? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that I have an air bladder probably with me because being the one in the troop that doesn't have the ability to stay underwater very long right now, I probably have at least one air bladder. Basically like carrying a torch with you when you're the one person who doesn't have dark vision. Have you played this game before, Scott? <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. Cassander has been a researcher here on the island for some time. He's very studious. He's very adequately prepared for problems so you have an emergency air bladder you could get a couple breaths out of it certainly not enough to keep you alive if you were drowning but you've you've got a couple fresh breaths of air with yeah, you the air bladder actually has a uh, has a, a sign on it that says use until uh sea life wild form is available then discard and it actually gives you the XP counter exactly. right there. Exactly, and it ticks, <laughs> it's ticking down. Very slowly, but it's ticking down. Nice. 
Okay, so the three of you see this cavern opening, and you plunge down into it. RMA, you go first, because you kind of sink the fastest. And you can see where you're going. Uh, Okay, Uh, I will gesture to each of them, uh, and then I will not so much as swim, as just sort of sink down towards the opening. So you're the scuba version of Buzz Lightyear? <laughs> yes. It's called sinking with style. It's it's not having a swim speed. It's having a walk speed at the bottom of the water. That's correct. So basically, RMA, you, you sink towards this cavernous opening, and you write yourself on what is not really the ground, but has become the ground. This This cavernous opening goes down at a little bit less than a 45-degree angle and then uh, hooks around to the right. Uh, the three of you can make your way down this pretty easily. It's a large tunnel opening. It's completely pitch black, though. So, RMA, you are absolutely in charge of where you guys are going at this point. Oh, okay, yeah. So I can see... Uh, as if it's dim light, even though it's completely black. Uh, so I'll move over to them so we can, you know, do the thing where we like put our hands on each other's shoulders to keep together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go ahead and I'll pull my cudgel out and I use the strap to affix it to my hand, but I'm going to hold it so that my hand is gripping the, the cudgel part, like the part I normally hit with. And my other hand is holding it and uh, almost like I would stab with it, almost like a spear. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, after the tunnel, curves away it eventually arcs back up a little bit on an incline and you pop out of the water into an underwater cave so you've actually kind of come into an air pocket and you see that you can actually walk up out of the water onto a shore of sorts but you're just in a cave underneath the waves Okay, yeah, I'll uh, I'll lead them basically out and then to the surface, and then once I'm above uh, the water, I will exhale <sighs> super deeply, take a couple normal breaths, but but, but deep ones, uh, and then um, usually after I've done this where I've held my breath a really long time, I'll actually get a little bit dizzy once I start breathing normally, so I'll kind of rest for a second. Okay, so uh, you guys are now on this little shore underneath the waves. RMA has taken you up safely. Uh, You can breathe normally, no problem whatsoever. Is it still Uh, completely dark though? I kind of assume it it is is, since we're underwater and in a cave. Yep, it is still completely dark. Uh, Scott, does Dane have any ability to see right now? Uh, You know, looking at my character sheet and my race, no, I do not have dark vision. However, I um, am at least prepared with for dark conditions, being the only dwarf who has night blindness in uh, one of the few in this community. So uh, I, I do bring a small shielded lantern and sealed canister of oil with me, which I will turn on and hopefully not go through our air so quickly that we die. It'll be a small flame. Wonderful. Small flame. Very small just, flame. Just a little one. Just okay. Little <laughs> just a little flame. All right. So, Dane, you bring out your lantern. You shake the water off of it. The sealed canister uh, maintained its seal, no problem at all. You can light up. Uh, You all blink as the light kind of hits your eyes, and you adjust to it. The cavern you're in is all rock. It's all natural. 
The walls are slick with water, and most of them are covered with some sort of lichenous barnacle growth. Uh, It's not something you've ever seen before, though. It looks a little bit strange. And you can see that the cavern extends out before you, and there's a, a tunnel in front of you as well. So you said this cavern was more natural than created by a sentient? Correct. And the things on the walls look interesting and different? Yes, you have not seen them before. Uh, Cassandra will at once uh, pick out his uh, his goat uh, handled uh, his goat bone handled uh, dagger and begin to scrape off the uh, lichen and the barnacles and put them in a pouch for later investigation. Sure, that's fine. What else are you guys going to do? Okay, so army would move kind of to the front uh, entrance of that cave area, getting in front of the light, uh, letting my eyes readjust, trying to get my night vision back, and just sort of peer down it and see if I can see anything. Yeah, no problem. You can see that the tunnel stretches off in front of you no more than 15, 20 feet, and then makes a sharp left. I believe Invar wishes us to go further. Invar always seems to wish us go further. Wonder if there's anybody to help us out here. Uh, Dane, having seen no treasure, is now looking for people to uh, entertain, amuse, or cajole, or possibly rob. So he will. Uh, Dane walks up to Aramie b- behind her and says, uh, "Here, let me help you with that." Hello, is anyone down there? Can you hear us? Do you have treasure? And you just hear your own words echo back to you, muffled and distorted. It sounds like there's another one of you in there, but like far away. Ah, but surely, as Copper 228 has said, that the journey with yourself is never a journey alone. Let us continue. I know that you're looking for treasures, Dane, and I will uh, scrape uh, some larger barnacles off the wall again with the dagger, and I will pop open the back and smell them and say... The ocean brings many treasures, some which are delicious, and I will offer them to the two dwarves. Uh, thanks, Professor. Regard them coldly, sort of smell them. And then I'll pop one myself and... Mmm. Mmm. I'll, I'll save mine for later. <laughs> just just put it right right here in my, in my back pocket, just, just, just for later. You dropped it. You just... Just, just, just a you little just, You don't have a pug. You just dropped it on the floor. It's fun later, you know. It's we'll pick it up on our way. Okay, back. there might be heavy treasure ahead. Don't want my pockets full. You know how it is. Thanks. This is why I like you better, Army. Let's go. <laughs> okay, so Army will uh, will be in front. I'll be ready to lead the way, and I'll change the grip on my cudgel so I'm holding it normal, and I'm ready to thump if there's something that needs thumping. Okay, so the three of you walk down this tunnel, you can sense that it has a slight downgrade. So you know that you are going deeper as you are walking forward. Is anyone else having a sinking feeling? The tunnel takes a sharp left and then continues on for about a hundred feet. It then opens up into a very large room. Uh, you actually can't see the uh, the ceiling at, at this point, just with the dim light 
from the uh, the lantern army. You think you can see some uh, stalactites up there, but it's very dim, even with your dark vision. This room has uh, the same natural cave walls and floor, and it has the same types of odd growths that you saw in that first entryway, but these growths are much bigger. It's as if those strange little barnacle plant life things have been magnified almost a hundred times. So they're coming up almost to your waists. I will take my pouch that I had those previous specimens in and dump them out on the floor and go dagger first towards the new ones to harvest those. Wide-eyed. Okay, so Cassander, you are very focused on trying to harvest one of these things. Dane and Arami, give me a perception check. <laughs> Good. Yeah, let's yeah, do one of each. Yeah, do that. <laughs> okay, with my awesome perception, I got a negative one. Okay, you're not the spy bot in this team. No. I also don't have amazing perception, but luckily, I rolled a 14, so that's uh, 16 for me. Okay, so Arami is just kind of looking around in awe of where she is. Dane, you are fiddling with your lamp and trying to raise the flame a little bit. At just the right moment, you crank up the flame, and it illuminates... Cassander. Cassander is walking towards one of these weird, waist-high barnacle plant things. Is this an alien egg pod? No, this no. is Caleb's campaign, not no, yours. Sorry. <laughs> what he does not notice is that on either side of him there are three or four more of these things. Uh, and Imagine it kind of like a a tall uh, oblong oyster, and they are actually cracking open. You guys didn't see that uh, it, it had that bivalve clamshell before, uh, but Dane, you catch uh, that they are opening up, and some sort of growth is reaching out for Cassander. A pseudopod, maybe? I, I yell out to Cassander. <gasps> Wait, the, the pods are opening. Mermaids, I have first dibs. And I run ahead. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, say that I don't hear him because I'm too invested in my investigation. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> I rolled and I rolled a five just in case. But yes. <laughs> yeah, Cassander does not hear Dane. Dane, are. Is Dane actually running into this mass of things? Uh, yeah. If if there are mermaids, I want my first pick. If there's treasure, I'm definitely taking it before anybody else can count it. And if it's uh, danger, these uh, two bumbling fools could probably use a hand. Wonderful. So, uh, what are your guys' ACs? Oh, 13. 12. Does a shield give me plus one? Two. If you're holding it, but I don't know. No, I'm not holding it right now, now, so I guess my AC would be 14. 
You have the best in the party still. Good man. Actually, mine would be worse than that because I'm not wearing armor right now. So it's right. uh, why aren't you yeah, wearing armor? Because we took we took her from work. Yeah, you were at work. Your work is to bludgeon people till they give you money. You wear your armor every day <laughs> because no one ever fights back when I do that. I don't need armor. Iron Five Eleven says armor to work, armor to home. You're just making that up. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> he sees right through me. No, no, no. He's right. Wait, ah. what? That's that's exactly what that says. <laughs> Damn it. Crazy. Crazy coincidence. <laughs> okay, so Dane and Cassander, you guys do not notice as these uh, kind of pseudopod tentacle things reach out towards you guys. They actually knock you to the ground. So you kind of smack down into this wet rock. You don't take any damage, uh, but it definitely surprises you. Do, do they notice? Does who notice? Th- you said they didn't notice. I hope they noticed. Well, you notice now, yes. Okay. You notice as you are getting sla- your feet slapped out from underneath you <laughs> and smack into the ground. Arami hears this as well, and, and her attention is drawn over to these things. So above... Uh, above the two of you that are on the ground, you see these tentacle pod things reaching down towards you both. So there's like tentacles coming down from the ceiling right now? Not from the ceiling, but from these weird Mollusk. oblong Oh, so it's like they're arcing up and then coming back down. Basically, yeah. They, they kind of swiped out. They swiped out towards the ground, knocking their feet out from under them. And then they're just reaching out from where they are okay towards them okay so once army notices this i would rush over and swing my cudgel not necessarily trying to do damage as much as just like trying to clear almost like you know like i'm going through a path in the jungle yeah yeah sure uh why don't you give me an attack roll we'll see how big an area you can clear okie dokie that will be a 17 okay so you can actually knock like four of them out of the way and uh, you can reach down and uh, offer a hand to one of these guys that's on the ground. Cass? What's going on? Are you pulling me up while you're saying that? Yes. Okay. As I get pulled to my feet, I'm kind of wild-eyed, and I'm like, mollusks! These are, these are mollusks! I eat them all the time! I think they're about to eat you. And I take my dagger, and in my mind... I can see oysters and clams, and I know how to shuck them and and get out the good stuff. And I'm kind of just, like, making it bigger and imagining it in that um, configuration. And I take my dagger and I strike it the same place I would a delicious oyster that I would eat. And I rolled an 18. And I'm trying to uh, kill it like I would food. Sure, you can do that. So you, you slide the dagger in with a twisting motion, mm-hmm. and the, the width of the blade actually pops the shell. These are big, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they come up yeah, to yeah, your yeah. waist. So it's not like a, a clam shell or an oyster shell where you would pop it completely apart, but you do break the seal, yes. so to speak. And the, the pseudopod tentacle actually shrivels back within the thing. Uh, it seems to be a pain reaction. Uh, but this also 
causes the other things around you guys to react a little bit more offensively. So uh, all of them now, and you realize that they are all around you in this cavern, are actually opening up and reaching out towards you. Now you have the entrance behind you that you just came in, but from her new position, Arami can actually see that there is another exit across the uh, this room of these creatures. I don't think this test was from Invar. I think this test is from Kovar. And I will heft my cudgel a little higher and wade in and start swapping them hard as I can. Okay, uh, give me an attack roll. And I do that well. I got a 22. Yeah, you basically can't miss these things. They don't move. So you're just smacking your cudgel into this shell. It definitely cracks and uh, breaks under the impact. And that causes that particular one to pull back in and retract, just like the one um, that Cassander kind of cracked open. Come on, guys. Let's get going. Yes, I, I think that uh, retreat may be the better part of Valor here, I, I say, from halfway across the room, as I've already taken my bonus action to dash <laughs> and run the hell away. <laughs> oh, okay, I see, how, I see what he did there. If you guys want to catch up any time, would be fine. And, uh, Scott, I'm going to bet that Dane went towards the uh, the other exit from this room or the one you came from? Dane went toward the treasure. And possibly the mermaids, but mostly the treasure. So he forged ahead in his retreat, is what we're saying. That's right. We're, we're retreating to the front. That's really the opposite of attacking to the rear. Do I have to disengage from these things and then turn, or...? No, uh, they're not actively able to move. Yeah, I so, don't think so. Uh, okay. the, the tentacle pseudopods are definitely waving about in a menacing manner. But you are able to move around them pretty easily. Uh, are you going to try to follow Dane? Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to make a, 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 a studious remark and then follow after Dane. Okay, so go ahead and make your studious remark. And then give me three attack rolls to fend off these tentacles as you are uh, making your way through the cavern. Yes, sir. They seem to be attracted to the heat of our bodies. Go away from them. They don't have the reach. Okay, so as you are making your way through this cavern, you very easily knock aside most of these pseudopods, but a couple of them actually do connect with you, and they kind of leave a, a sucking, sickening funk as they connect and then you pull away from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not enough to break the skin, but it definitely leaves a bit of a welt. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're going to end up taking three damage from that. Good, because that's about half my hit points, so let's stick with that. Michael, uh, the same thing as RMA is walking through the, this mass of creatures. Go ahead and give me three attack rolls. I am walking backwards towards Cass and Dane, and I'm just trying to fin them off. Uh, keep them off of us, and I'll start to recite some of the prayers from the big metallurgical book that we, you know, follow. Certain passages that have to do with trials and tribulations that shall be overcome. 
And I rolled, like, really high on those. I mean, they're all, like, 15 or higher. Then you successfully keep all these pseudopod tentacles away from you. Uh, So you guys are all reunited here uh, across this cavernous area. Uh, The tunnel continues uh, again away from you. This time, the downgrade is a little bit more apparent. So you're definitely going a little bit steeper down. And the tunnel path is starting to spiral a little bit uh, to the left as you're walking down. Not like it's like a spiral staircase going down, but you can tell you're definitely making a slow arc to come back around eventually. Cass, are you okay? Oh, I'm fine. I just just can't get over how fascinating those creatures are. Me either. Don't worry. They'll be there when we get back. So as the three of you are walking, the path widens a little bit. Uh, You're not going into another room. You're still carrying on the... uh, You're carrying along on the same path that you're on. It's just getting wider on either side of you. Let's have a perception check from everybody. Bricked it. I got a four. Uh, That's a six total. I got a two. So that's a five total? I got an 11. Minus one. Ten. How do you have minus one? (laughs) I have an eight wisdom. That's Why do you think I fall for all your tricks? Because you have an eight wisdom. Fair enough. So the three of you are walking along, and you have each felt little things brushing against your face, and you just kind of wiped it away without thinking anything more of it. When suddenly you all realize at about the same moment what you... Except I'm like two seconds behind. Well, yeah, Arme is a few seconds behind what we're doing here. Uh, But you, you suddenly realize that what you've been feeling against your face are actually bits of stone falling from the ceiling. And you look up in a moment of terror, and you realize that bits of the ceiling, big chunks of rock, are actually dislodging. And there is another quake happening at that exact moment. So what we're going to do here is you guys need to run forward to get out of this room. Uh, We're going to start with some dexterity saving throws. I got an 11 plus 4 is 15. Dodging nimbly out of the way of falling rocks. So army got a eight plus one is nine. I kind of feel like this is important, so I'm actually going to go ahead and use one of my tokens here, and basically I'm going to connect this to the fact that I'm I believe so much in the faith that they will guide my actions, and I will basically take like a different route through the path, so it just misses me to the side rather than right in front of me. Yeah, that's a fine use of your inspiration, so go ahead and give me a reroll. Huzzah! Well, I mean, maybe huzzah, I guess. I got a 15. That could be a huzzah. And Matthew, what you got for me? Uh, am I? Uh, this is just a deck saving throw, or can I use acrobatics, too? Uh, okay, so it would normally be a dexterity saving throw. Right. I will say that if you want to uh, burn one of your inspiration tokens and... Uh, link it to one of your background traits you could actually switch your no i I didn't need to i was just wondering if i needed to beat it by more all right so i got a 17 
So the three of you are fine at this point. Uh, big chunks from the ceiling fall down. They do not block the exit, so the path is still clear, but now there are big chunks of rock on the ground right behind you. And you feel that while it has subsided a little bit, the tremor is still occurring. So the three of you continue to run forward. The path turns a little bit again to the left, kind of continuing this large spiral. And it opens up into a large room. Now what you all immediately notice is that this is a man-made room. And you all kind of skid to a halt when you realize you're no longer in a cave. It does appear that there was a, a hole knocked into the wall that the cavern has connected into. But the area you're in is very clearly man-made and manufactured. There are well-placed stone tiles on the floor. There are statues around the room. It's a pretty big room, maybe 50, 60 feet across. It's also completely lit. Can, can we tell by the, or can somebody with stone cunning tell if it's dwarven stonecraft or ancient elven or, or some other make? That, that was going to be my question. Do you literally mean man-made or sentient-made? I, I, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean made by someone, made by a living being, not naturally formed. And you mean by lit that it's high. As a kite. I do want to take a quick step back. I hate to do this, but when the rocks were falling, I want to say that I uh, I actually lost my little beaded braid out of my hair, and so I stopped and and like turned back and grabbed it, you know, like Indiana Jones and the whip thing, and a huge stone fell right where I would have been had I taken that next step, which ties back into the fact that my fate saved me. That I had not, you know, if I hadn't gone back for my beads, it would have killed me. Uh, so this is, you know, even more clearly a, a, a journey that Invar and Kovar have sent me on. Perfect. That's absolutely fine. Okay, so now we're back in the room, and I will use my dwarven stone cutting skills to see if, if there's anything about this that tells me if it's dwarven or something else. Actually, uh, the other two can also make checks if you'd like. If you'd like to make a uh, maybe a history check, uh, just a raw intelligence check, uh, religion would work. Perception is fine. Um, you could even use investigation. Just tell me what you're doing and why. I will use religion because I'm good at that one. I have the same bonus to all those skills. Ooh, I rolled an 18 on a history check. I'm good at it, but I didn't roll very well, so yeah, no, that didn't happen. I rolled a 7 on a history check. Plus 2 is a 9. Not good enough. All right, so everyone is looking around very shocked by what they have seen. Matthew, Cassander figures out what's going on a little bit quicker than everyone else. You're very clearly in a room that is crafted by dwarven architects. Uh, the statues are very, very big, but they're all definitely dwarves. They're just the scaled to be very, very large. They're covered in a white marble. They are holding giant braziers that are burning with, with flame. Nothing is worn down. Nothing is eroded. Nothing is affected seemingly by the water like everything else you have seen is. 
And at the far end of this room, maybe another 50, 60 feet away, there is what seems to be a an altar. I would be drawn to that. Don't alter it. I would be repelled by that. I'm going to say that I took all of this in, but I'm going to be too transfixed by what's going on on the walls and everywhere to be drawn to the altar, and I'm probably not going to notice... Arme going towards the altar at first. That's fine. Uh, Cassander is actually noticing that the walls are inscribed with a text. It appears to be a dwarven script, something in a, a very ancient rune, but it's not modern dwarvish. It is very, very old. You recognize some runes. You recognize some sentence structure, but you can't actually read anything. Arame, you are absolutely drawn forward and you are approaching this altar. Uh, Everyone give me a dexterity saving throw. Great. I'm terrible at those. Actually, I'm not too terrible. Uh, Crit. I got a 12 plus 4 is a 16. Fuck. I already used my token. I have a one, which makes a two. It's a two. All right. So here's what's happening. As you guys are in this room uh, exploring, the quake suddenly hits again. Cassander and Dane realize what's happening and uh, take a beat to steady themselves. But Arame doesn't. She is so entranced by this altar and its contents she does not realize what's happening there's a thunderous crack and one of the statues breaks at the base it comes smashing down into Arame and she is knocked to the ground unconscious and that's all that I remember uh, Army will look down at her now empty mug and look over and see that Dane and Cassandra are either empty or close to it. Uh, so I'll get up and go over to the to the bar to get us another round for the rest of the night. Cassandra, are we ever going to tell her what happened? <sighs> Definitely not now, and I I don't know if we ever really can. Yeah, I, I guess there's no easy way to to say it. It 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 would just be out there. That's it's going to just going to change everything she's ever thought. So at, as you guys are talking, RMA comes back carrying three more mugs of ale. Hey, hey. RMA. Thanks. Brought back the good stuff. All right. What were you guys just talking about? You didn't start a new story without me. Oh, the uh the, the good old days, the the good new days, you know, days that are good, the general sorts of good dayful things that uh, help me out here, little. No day like today, am I right? Cheers. Yep, yep. Every day is another day's tomorrow. And I hold up my tankard for a cheers for everyone. Cheers. Hip, hip, hooray. I'll do that sort of awkward left-handed high-five his tankard, because I just don't really get, you know, what's going on. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening, and as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.